Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 98. Today's episode is all about how to invest just one day to conquer your entire life. How can we empower ourselves? All of these outside influences, our parents, um, as well as numerous other people that we've crossed paths with in our lives, have an outsized impact on our thoughts. But at the end of the day, we do control them, right? We are the stories that we tell ourselves. And sometimes we are our harshest critic. That inner voice pushing against us so hard. It is trying to figure out, A, having that awareness and B, understanding like, oh, I'm actually doing this to myself, right? It's easy. Oh, I blame my parents, blame this. But it's like, yes, yes, they had that impact. They put those voices in our head in some regard. But now it is our ability as empowered adults to work and sift through that. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. You know that blissful feeling you get when you accomplish something really awesome? Maybe you ran a marathon, or you celebrated one year alcohol-free like I just did or you did your first plant medicine experience, or you're on your way home from a mastermind or a retreat. I love that feeling. It's like self-pride, self-realization, self-love all in one. My head is always so clear, like none of my limiting beliefs are hitchhiking my energy anymore. But usually it fades. And yeah, there are tools that you can use to keep it up so you don't fade with it. But for most, it's still not the same as that just did something awesome energy. But what if I told you that there's a way to tap into that in just a 12-hour commitment? No money, no travel, no other people even are needed. Our guest today believes he found the thing. And it seems like a lot of people have followed his footsteps, literally and figuratively, and have found that similar bliss space as well. Our guest today is Colin O'Brady, and he's encouraging people to do a 12-hour walk no phone, no friends, just you and your favorite trail or sidewalk or whatever you have accessible. And I think I'm going to do it, you guys. I do need to check with my midwife and make sure it's not too much for me. (laughs) But honestly, I think I can handle it. Just the idea is actually pumping me up. I'm reminded of the first time my husband and I did ayahuasca. It was kind of a stressful time, both of us were building our businesses, finances were tight, time was limited. But I just had this feeling that it was time, and I had actually been trying to call it into my life for a while. Well, when the opportunity appeared, we decided not to pass it up, whatever it takes. We had no idea what to expect, but we were dropping a couple G's to do this pretty illegal thing in a mansion in Malibu. Yeah, I know, real authentic. And we were hoping for the best. Well, the next day, we were driving home, and we stopped for coffee, and then walked across the street to this beautiful spot on the Malibu beach. We had both been silent for most of the ride so far, and we sat there looking out at the waves, and then we both just looked at each other and started laughing and couldn't stop. Suddenly, we were these fountains of words, spilling out these deep realizations that we had on the journey the night before. We were writing things down and feeding off of each other's energy about it. It was almost like we both took a vacation to recharge and then we exploded with details to fill each other in. It just put everything into perspective. 
All of our stresses and our worries from the day before were just gone. We kept saying, I cannot believe we almost didn't do this. And the funny thing was, nothing about our situation changed. Only our thoughts about it changed. And when we got home, we were both on a roll. Like whatever breaks we had on before were just lifted and we were full speed ahead. I have a feeling that this 12-hour walk is going to have similar results. I'm in my second trimester now, and honestly, I feel a little limited. Like I was finally getting my freedom back after being pregnant and having bravery, and I was finally able to take a day or two away. But now I'm kind of back at square one. And then I'll be breastfeeding, so it'll be a good like two years before I really feel like I have my freedom back. And yes, it's totally worth it, and I'm totally grateful, and it's temporary, and there are other ways, and this is just the way that I'm choosing. But just because it's my choice doesn't mean I don't mourn the sacrifices. So what if this is what I need? What if this is what you need? What if it's an easy reset for you to wipe away a few of your limiting beliefs? Maybe those limiting beliefs are popping up right now, saying, A 12-hour walk? I don't have time for that. Where am I even going to go? What's the point? What if I can't make it? Well, today we're going to talk about the magic behind the 12-hour walk, and we're going to walk you through those limiting beliefs so they can release their hold. And our guest is the perfect person to help us do it. His name is Colin O'Brady. He is a 10-time world record-breaking explorer, speaker, entrepreneur, and expert on mindset. And his feats include the world's first solo, unsupported, and fully human-powered crossing of Antarctica, speed records for the Explorer's Grand Slam and the Seven Summits, and the first human-powered ocean row across Drake's Passage. Colin's highly publicized expeditions have been followed by millions, and his work has been featured by the New York Times, The Tonight Show, The Joe Rogan Experience, and The Today Show. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Impossible First, and now The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. So three key things we will learn are how to identify and conquer your personal Everest, how to reframe loneliness to obtain mental clarity, and why a winner's mindset needs to be stronger than your feelings. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Colin O'Brady to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here with you. So what inspired your most recent book about the 12-hour walk? Yeah, so uh, we're excited to talk about it. I know we'll get deeper into why the 12-hour walk and what is the 12-hour walk asking people to do and my you know adventures walking across Antarctica and things like that. But you know, I opened the, I opened the book with a story um, that was an impactful moment for me, which was a few couple years ago, I was I do a lot of public speaking, um, and I was invited to speak on uh, mindset to a bunch of 
Wall Street executives and things. And I was like on a 500 person conference or something like that. But they invited me the night before to kind of be with a more intimate setting, you know, eight or so folks, all these guys were, you know, big hedge fund CEOs and head of banks, you know, kind of the real heavy hitters of that industry, very wealthy, very successful crew, not necessarily my typical, <laughs> typical hang, but it was an interesting environment. Nonetheless, uh, kind of funny intro where I, I, uh, I'm, I always kind of usually just wear like a black t-shirt and jeans. It's kind of my standard attire. Uh, and the the doorman as I'm going up into this Manhattan penthouse is kind of looking at me and giving me the side eye like what you're not supposed to be here there's no way you're on the guest (laughs) list for this party but I did eventually uh, make myself up to this room and you know it's an interesting it's an interesting evening you know I uh, certainly underdressed you know guys were in you know fancy custom suits and watches more expensive than my last expedition and things like that but um, we have a nice conversation they're engaged they're interested they're asking me all about my expeditions you know did did you see dead bodies bodies on Everest? And did you, you know, what was it like pulling a sled across Antarctica solo for 54 days? And, you know, a dialogue, but, you know, as, as, as fun as it is, I suppose to be the, the center of attention, I, I usually like to defer that and have a, you know, two-way conversation with folks. And one question that I love asking people is, you know, what's your Everest? You know, I had dreamed since I was a little kid of climbing Mount Everest. You know, I, I didn't grow up with a lot of money as a kid, but I had, you know, had parents that encouraged me to dream, you know, sort of limitless uh, possibilities, kind of whatever you can set your mind to figure out a way to achieve it. And so I was like, one day I'm going to climb Mount Everest. So I ask that question to people, you know, what's your Everest? I ask it to the school kids with my nonprofit work all the time. I ask it in all different settings, but in the, this evening I decided to ask that question. And it had been like a really kind of, I wouldn't say rambunctious crowd, but very, you know, energetic, you know, these very confident, you know, a lot of dialogue back and forth. And I asked this question, and it just goes crickets. And it's like, you know, this, this beautiful dining room of this, this penthouse. And all of a sudden, just like no one really wants to respond. And, you know, we've all had that feeling, right? Where you like ask a question, it's like just awkward. You're like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's just like not a great, you know, it's like, okay. And just kind of, you know, we roll past it. No big deal. Start talking about whatever else. And as I'm getting ready to leave that night, about to go into the elevator, a guy from the dinner pulls me aside. If I had to guess by 75, 80 years old pulls me aside, taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey, Colin, can I have a minute of your time? I said, yeah, sure. And he shares with me, he goes, I'm sorry about myself and my friends here for not, you know, answering your question more directly. What's, what's, what's my Everest? Um, he goes, and, and I think he really, the way he said it was without an ounce, ounce of bluster, although it's sort of a strange thing to say, but I made sense in the context. He's like, you know, I've made more money than you will possibly ever imagine. But there's not a day that goes by in my life that I don't think back to being a kid, being, you're know, talking about being at the summer camp up in the Catskills and being in the, the peacefulness of nature. And he's basically, you know, he didn't, didn't fill in all the blanks of his thoughts, but he was basically like, you know, I wonder where I would have ended up if I actually had asked myself this question of what my Everest was. I got so busy with a life full climbing society's Everest and other people's Everest that I think I may have missed the point. And he was kind of teary-eyed and, and full of, you know, for lack of a better word, regret in a soft way. And it really struck me. It struck me just in the way of it's so easy to look at somebody, particularly in this context. You know, this guy has it all. He's done it all. He's made all the money. He's done all the things, you know, status, power, whatever, you know, things like that. And to realize that deep down inside, he's feeling not super fulfilled. And so I think it's a great reminder for the rest of us who aren't sitting here with billions of dollars, right? To think about, you know, 
what is truly important and what is climbing our Everest or what is, and I, I don't frame that in terms of achievement, right? That Everest can be music, love, creativity, family, right? It can be anything impacting millions of people's lives. It can be, you know, the, the quiet uh, moments in between. It can be anything, right? It really is just a matter of how do you want to live your life? And are you being intentional in your mindset and in your daily practice and what you're applying your energy to, to optimize that? And it can be easy to get off course. I absolutely love that story. Those types of stories always get me. I remember being in a room with Judith Regan, who a lot of people might know who she is. Journalists all know who she is. She's like a a producer, a writer, a publisher, journalist, TV host, all this stuff. And um, she like went head to head with Roger Ailes back in the day, (laughs) like all sorts of like, she's lived the craziest life. And she was speaking about all of these experiences and people were diving into them. And then they asked, what is her biggest accomplishment of everything that she's done? And she was she paused for a second. She's like, no question, my kids. And I was just like, I didn't have kids at the time. And I was like, oh my God. I was like going through this brink of, do I want kids? Do I not? And maybe like, I don't have time. I have all these goals. And and it wasn't necessarily her, the answer about just kids. Like that's everyone's fulfillment or anything like that. But it reminded me that so often we think the things that we think are going to get in the way of these other goals are actually the real goal. You know, the thing Mm -hmm. that you're resisting versus what you're chasing. And so I have to step back often because I can get caught up in the money chase or the success chase or like making a name for myself. Honestly, I think it's those damn Instagram ads. The algorithm is so good. It's like, yes, I want this exact pair of shoes. (laughs) It's like, there's never enough money for it all. And so I, I do have to like set reminders for myself, like check in. It's a new month. Like, are you still on track? Because if I'm not really diligent and intentional, I can just kind of veer off and realize I'm chasing everybody else's idea of a success. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I love what you say about kids. You know, I know, I'm sure we'll talk about it in this conversation, all the various adventures that I've had and world records that I've set and, you know, walking across Antarctica solo and climbing Everest twice and, you know, all these things, which I'm extremely proud of and have given me deep fulfillment and purpose across my life. And I will sure continue to set very lofty goals for myself in, in that context and many others. But my wife and I are trying to start a family right now. And, you know, sometimes people would say to me, they're like, oh, well, that's really going to change your lifestyle or that's it. And I'm like, you know, if I'm an adventurer, it seems to me from, you know, the story you just shared, and I've heard this numerous times, like to miss out on the adventure of, of being a parent would seem to miss out uh, on a lot. And I know that's not everyone's path, but at least for me, my, my, that speaks to my heart for sure. And knowing, um, you know, and, and for sure, I, I'm 37 right now, you know, then earlier in my 30s, late 20s, when we talked about having kids, my wife and I have been together for 15 years, it didn't feel like it fit. And it feels right now in a very like calm and excited way, like, yes, it's time. Like this, this is the next adventure. Uh, and so we are very uh, excited to hopefully welcome new life into our family um, in, in the relative near term here. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. 
That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. It so is. And honestly, it's one of those things where it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but the most rewarding and all of the cheesy cliche things people have said are absolutely true. (laughs) But it took the world shutting down for me to snap into reality and realize, wait, like maybe this is the universe guiding me toward exactly what I need right now. Like I had said at age 30, in five years, I'm going to have a kid. Like we, we need five more years. And then that year was coming up and I did not feel ready. But then we had done like seven puzzles. I was like, we're out of puzzles. Like we need to have a kid. (laughs) And so we decided to try and, and we got pregnant and the rest is history. And now we have another one on the way. But that reminds me of your story about what inspired the 12 hour walk itself. So tell us what this 12 hour walk is and your inspiration for it. Yeah, so, you know, taking it back a few years anyways, when I was crossing Antarctica solo, so in twenty late 2018, I attempted to become the first person in history to cross the entire continent of Antarctica solo, unsupported, which means no resupplies of food or fuel. So I was dragging a 375-pound sled behind me and also no you know outside support, so no kites, no dogs, nothing like that pulling me, just me, mano we mano, walking across Antarctica. Um, it's something that no one in history had ever done from one coast to the pole all the way to the other coast. Many people had tried, um, people, someone had died trying, you know, definitely is a very challenging thing. And, and I set off to myself that goal to see if I could accomplish it. 
Now, one of the reasons it's been so difficult for people to achieve is that the unsupported nature, the no resupplies of food or fuel make this sort of math equation really challenging. Like there's a thousand miles of Antarctica. You have to start with everything you're going to finish with. If you took a thousand pounds of food to start, you would never be able to pull your sled on the first day. If you take too little, you're going to run out. So what's like that perfect balance of having just barely enough. And for me, it took me 54 days, didn't take a single day off. I was you know, I lost, you know, 40 or 50 pounds or something like that. By the time I got to the other side, my hips bone sticking out, my ribs sticking out, um, because I could quite literally couldn't carry enough food. So I was running a calorie deficit every single day from the first day. And it took me pulling my sled 12 hours every single day without taking a break off the day off. So it was 12 hours of nonstop uh, walking every single day to get to the other side. And something interesting happened for me out there, which is when I was pulling my sled, obviously, as I just mentioned, my body, you know, got pretty beat up. It was definitely, you know, on the edge of of what is possible physically for me. But my mind as the stillness, the quiet, the solitude, of course, there was many anxious and fearful moments on this crossing. But in the end, I ended up tapping into these deep flow states, these states of deep clarity, fulfillment, connectedness in my life. My, uh, my first book that came out a couple of years ago, it's called The Impossible First, and it's all about this journey. And of course, I, you know, it's an achievement-oriented, goal-setting kind of person was like, of course, I wanted to do it and be first. But the last chapter of my book about that crossing is not titled, and I did it, I'm so awesome. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's titled Infinite Love, because ultimately, despite the challenge and the hardship and what I was trying to achieve, what I was actually, once I was kind of laid bare out there, what I actually just felt was a deep connection to self and purpose and the connection to my wife and my family, um, my purpose of connecting, uh, inspiring young kids to um, climb the summit of their dreams, their own efforts, et cetera. And I just had this resonant clarity of this infinite love, this power um, within, which was really a beautiful experience um, and a way for me to find this kind of deep place in my mind, body, and soul um, that was very powerful um, and very uh, peaceful and, and strong feeling. So I thought to myself, well, I found it. I found it. I've had, I found this place in my mind and therefore I can go to this place in my mind and, and always come back here. And of course, it's true that I have been able to take my lessons from this solo Antarctica crossing and apply it um, uh, in numerous ways uh, in my life going forward. But just like with anything with mindset and ups and downs, you know, you have it for a little bit and then then you don't have it. For me, a lot of things went well after that Antarctica crossing. I had written this other book, The Impossible First. It had become a New York Times bestseller. I was on book tour doing all these live events. I was getting ready to leave for another expedition in Nepal with my wife and April, you know, March, April, 2020 happens. We all remember that moment, the COVID lockdown. Like, it sounds like you were doing a lot of puzzles. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I get it because, you know, after having this life where I'm bouncing around, interacting with all these people out in the world, boom, all of a sudden, you know, I'm locked in, in my house on the Oregon coast. And I don't pretend that, you know, my book tour being canceled or my expedition being canceled is the least of, is the, really, it's the least of the world's problems at scale in this time. You know, people are, are dying, you know, the roads are closing or the borders are closing. And, you know, it's a really just frightening and disorienting time that we all live through, right? 
I found myself, I guess, in this pretty deep, dark headspace, like the opposite of this infinite love connectedness that I felt at the end of my Antarctica crossing. I felt myself being depressed, anxious, unsure, uncertain, um, not really knowing um, what, what was around the next corner uh, for me. At one point, my wife, Jenna, she looks over at me and she says, you do know you haven't changed out of your pajamas in three days, right? And, and you've just been pretty much sitting on that couch, uh, doom scrolling the news on your phone. Like I was obsessively reading like all the next worst headlines as they come up one after the next after the next. And she was right. You know, I had fallen into a pretty dark place. And so I tried to kind of pull myself out of it and think to myself, well, when was the last time I felt, you know, really connected? And it was at least 12 hour days in Antarctica, despite the challenge and the hardship of that journey. So I said to my wife, I'm, I'm going to try something tomorrow. This might sound ridiculous, but I'm going to go for a 12 hour walk. I'm going to leave our front door and be gone all day. She just kind of smiles and laughs at me. And she's like, yeah, all right. Well, um, I'll see you when you get back. I guess I'll see you around dinner time or something like that. Have fun. And I walk out my front door about 20 minutes into that walk. Um, my phone buzzes in my pocket and I pull out my phone and my friend of mine is just texting me and I, for, you know, and instinctively go to respond to this text. And then I think to myself, what am I doing? Like, I've been doom scrolling my new, the news. I've been on my social media, Instagram constantly. I've been like, it's been like, do I really need to just like text my friend back right now? I'm on this block. Like maybe this can wait and sort of instinctively just put my phone on airplane mode, kind of returning to that stillness, that silence. And I continued for the next 12 hours walking, no music, no podcast, no outside in stimulus, just me walking alone in my thoughts. And it transported me back into this stillness, into this peace, into this inner calm, a huge reset um, for my body. And I took breaks along the way, but mostly I kept moving my body forward. And as I got back to my front door, I opened the door up and my wife, she's standing there. My dog jumps up in my lap. My wife's standing there, Jenna, and she goes, you're back. And I said, yeah, I told you I was coming back around this time. She goes, no, no, you're back. Like she Aww. could see my spirit had returned. And she was right. You know, just this 12 hour walk, this day by myself really reset me. Um, and not just that day, it had a, uh, you know, a spillover effect onto the many challenging days and weeks and months ahead through the COVID pandemic. Now, I thought this was like, great. I'm the guy who walked across Antarctica pulling a sled 12 hours a day. Maybe this is just a me thing. Like, great, cool, whatever. Like, Maybe this, I'm not sure this applies like to everyone else, but I had lots of friends during this time, right? You know, colleagues, uh, family members, friends who were going through hard times with the COVID lockdown, like so many people were. And so I just started suggesting this to people, just saying like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, I, uh, I went on this walk. This is what I did. I turned my phone on airplane mode. I walked for 12 hours and a bunch of people started taking me up on it. You know, like dozens and dozens of people in my inner circle. I'll, I'll try that. I'll try that. And this is not just like fit, like athlete kind of people. This is, you know, my 77 year old mother-in-law took the 12 hour walk for her. It looked like walking one time around her block, taking a long rest on her front porch and walking another time around her block. You know, my, my ultra marathon friend did, you know, 40 or 50 miles or something like that, practically, you know, not just, you know, speed walking basically. And neither one of them are doing it right or wrong. There's no better or worse. The 12 hour walk meets you right where you're at. So anyways, that's a long uh, origin story, but the essence of my new book, the 12 hour walk, it's about mindset. It's got lots of great stories in it from adventure. It's page turning. It's exciting. And some people said that it's a, a love letter to my wife, which I take as a high compliment. Um, but more than anything, it's a book about mindset. That's not about me. I, I share stories from my life, but I very explicitly say to the reader, hey, you're the hero of this story. And as the subtitle says, invest one day, conquer your mind and unlock your best life. My goal really is to get people off the page and into their own body by embarking on their own 12 hour walk. 
And thousands of people all around the world are already signed up to do it. The book's only been out a couple of weeks at this point and people literally in every single time zone at all, all times of day right now, people are out there doing the 12 hour walk. And I get these videos and notes from people and all different types of people, all different circumstances are coming back, changed stronger in their own mind, their own body, you know, having a lot more clarity than they've had on, on many different things they've been toiling with for a long period of time. And it's just uh, my offering to the world in this moment, this it's completely free. It happens out your front door. You can sign up on my website, 12hourwalk.com, and I'll be accountable just the idea of sending you emails and checking in with you to make sure you're on track to complete your walk. But that's uh, that's really what this this new book and what I really think of as more of a book than a see more of a global movement than just a book um, that I'm sharing with the world in this moment in time. Yeah, every Saturday I take most of the day for a mom day. And I, I live on a mountain, so I have to drive like an hour to my favorite yoga studio and I have like a massage and all this, but I actually decided when I was reading your book, I'm like, I'm going to use one of my Saturdays for a 12 hour walk. I might have to get up a little bit earlier and have the husband take my son a little bit longer, but, and I, I'm pretty sure it's still safe to do while pregnant. I don't see why not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. At least what I, with the doctor's visits we have with my wife, they say kind of, if you're used to moving your body, continue moving it in the way that you do. And, and it's like I said, it meets you right where you're at, right? Like this is take as many breaks as you want. You're pregnant, you know, like this is not a, it's not a race, um, but it is a time to deeply check in uh, with yourself and, and your thoughts. And I know anyone listening, you, you can do the 12 hour walk on any single day, you know, pick a day that works for you. For those that are looking for a little additional accountability to it, you can uh, uh, actually sign up for September 10th. I'll be doing the walk that day. There's thousands of people signed up specifically on that day. You're still walking alone from your front door, but alone together. The, the sort of the spirit of collective effort of others. So if for some reason you're looking for a specific day and, and, and you want that that sort of energy from others out in the world, um, September 10th, uh, you can put that on your calendar, but it can be done any single day. I've created this app that just helps you and it puts your phone on airplane mode, but it tracks your walk. And so you can have maps. You don't get lost um, while still in airplane mode. But yeah, this is a day for you. It's a gift to yourself to check in, to go deep. Might be a little bit out of your comfort zone to shut the phone on airplane mode and be quiet in your own mind for a little bit. Bit, but is as it is a uh, a deep journey that has a really really powerful reward on the other side. Perfect. September 10th is on a Saturday. I'm going to do it that day. <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. So, it's funny how you say this book isn't about me, it's about everyone else. For some reason, it keeps getting brought up to me like one one of those resounding thoughts that just keeps popping up in all these conversations I have is just how often we feel like our struggles are just so unique to us and no one will understand and blah 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 but when we really break it down, we're all struggling with the same things. There might be some unique details to them, but like the core of them all is the same. And that goes back also to our limiting beliefs. Like we feel like, oh, we can't do this, these things for these specific reasons. But when you say them out loud, it's the same reasons that are flying around in everyone else's head. Like you, in one of your chapters, you just laid out an internal monologue and you ended up going deeper into all of these limiting beliefs, but it's just like, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have the right friends, which that one <laughs> pops up for me a lot. I don't have the right friends, like the ones who are going to homestead with me on land somewhere, <laughs> like, you know, like that, those types of things pop up. And I haven't really heard that one verbalized. And I was like, see, it is another common one, or I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of failing. And so I love the way you take each one and you, you break them down to figure out how to solve them. And, and they're all a little bit more simple than we 
give them credit for because they feel so big in our minds. But how did you come up with the the top limiting beliefs that you realized are so common with all of us? And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How did you come up with the top limiting beliefs that you realized are so common with all of us? 
Yeah, no, it's, it's so interesting. And I, and I love what you said, uh, that sort of the universal truths of, you know, we might be struggling with them in different ways or the external existence of our each one of our individual lives might look a little bit different, live in different parts of the countries or, you know, different ages, genders, circumstance, whatever. But like the core problems or the core thoughts, those core limiting beliefs are really universal. And it's funny, I... I didn't have uh, an answer to that question other than, you know, I, I do a lot of work. I do a lot of public speaking, things like that. And, you know, I, people sound like, oh, I'm not living my best life or I'm being held back by this, that and the other thing. So I finally was like, I'm going to just ask people this question. I started asking people in person, uh, my audience uh, online, my Instagram audience, et cetera, started asking people. So I asked thousands and thousands of people this question, like, what is stop? What's the main, main thing that is stopping you from living your best life or inhabiting your best self? Like, what, what is it? And you ask thousands of people a question that's open-ended in some regard, you could get thousands of different answers, right? But it turned out that I got the same 10 answers thousands of times. <laughs> um, and they're the ones you just described, you know? Uh, I would be living my best life, except for I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, you know, I don't have the right friends, what, what if I fail, what if people criticize me, I don't like feeling uncomfortable, etc. It really is um, interesting from that standpoint. And, you know, I I, you know, sometimes people say, you know, sometimes people say silly things to me, like they say, well, you walked, I will be going out to dinner in New York City or something like that in winter. And someone will be like, Colin, why are you wearing a coat? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, it's 30 degrees outside. And they're like, yeah, but you walked across Antarctica, it was minus 40. You must never get cold. And I'm like, I'm a human being, man. Like I get cold, <laughs> like it's 30 degrees outside. I'm wearing a coat, you know? And it's the same thing of, you know, I have, you know, been fortunate to, to work hard and have many of setbacks along my way, but I've, you know, 10 world records and some accolades next to my name. And sometimes someone will read my bio and be like, great, you've got it all figured out. And it's like, no, like, I have dealt with all of these same living beliefs. I may have figured out how to transmute them, shift them, overcome them in certain circumstances. And that's what the book is about. But the book is not a highlight reel of my life. The book is I tell these, you know, edge of your seat, thrilling stories are throwing me and showing you where I am in like high stakes environments, dealing with the same limiting beliefs that I think so many of us deal with, but trying to have the presence of mind of, of learning, of curiosity, of how to shift that mindset and ultimately conjure what I call in the book, a possible mindset. So I define that as an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. Cause I do truly believe as human beings, all of us, we all sit atop reservoirs of untapped potential and can achieve extraordinary things in our life, deep fulfillment, joy, um, external achievement, whatever it is that we're striving for, but we all more often than not get held back by the by our own mind, and these limiting beliefs really um, put uh, unnecessary limits uh, on our fullest potential. I keep thinking back to this, like when I was younger. I don't know. I saw like my mom and my aunts and uncles having their birthday parties and whatever, and there was always that over the hill, stupid like it was always a black graphic, and it had like this hill, and you're 40 now, and everything's downhill from here, and I'm 37 now, and so you are too, it seems. And so it's funny, like I have to remind myself all the time that that's just an illusion. Like just because there's dumb, like supposed to be funny graphics that I saw way too young <laughs> and that people think like, oh, now I'm old, like things are downhill or, or the time has passed or it's too late or whatever. But one of the things that helps me is I feel like my life didn't fully start till I was like 30. Like, yes, I did live a lot in my 20s, but a lot of it was living in the way that I wouldn't live now, like just partying too much. Yes, I traveled, but like partying too much, you know, and then, and then I feel like I got my shit together and I, 
I really started to understand deeper truths of life. I started working on, my, on myself, pushing myself, following goals at like 30. And so when I look at it that way, I'm like, I'm only seven years into this new journey. There is plenty of time. Like if I treat my body well and eat healthy, like I still have a long way to go of this, like knowing yourself and knowing your worth and knowing what's possible mindset. And when I think of it that way, no, I'm not at my half-life. I'm like at the very beginning. And all of the years before that was just still figuring it out. No, I love that. That is, uh, yeah, that's so spot on. You and I are the same age. I'm 37 as well. We born, were you born 85 or 84? 85, yeah. 85, yeah, a fellow 85-er. Love it. Uh, March 16th, just in case, you know. May 14th, so you're okay. a little older. <laughs> just, I'm old man. I'm old man compared to you. Two months, so less than two months, you're a senior. But no, I, I totally relate to that. Obviously, we're in a similar phase of life, but it is so funny how, you know, whether it's, you know, the same age we are, 37, or it's that, you know, looming 40 that made it, mid-age or, you know, if sometimes people feel that way at 30, whatever that is, like people have just been told or they've built something up in their mind, like, well, at this point, it's all downhill or something like that. But I meet some people, I actually had a, an 81-year-old guy, the first day the book came out, 12-hour walk, an 81-year-old guy emailed me and he said, I heard you on a podcast talking about this and I couldn't wait for the book and I went out and did the 12-hour walk. I'm 81, 81 years old. And I was like, is this for real? Or is this guy like messing with me? I can't tell. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I was like, I would love to meet you. Can we do a Zoom call like later this afternoon? And he was like, yeah, I got to help my daughter help me set the Zoom call up, but sure. And so we did this, this Zoom call and I get on the phone and within 30 seconds, first of all, I know for sure he's done the 12 hour walk. I didn't think he was messing with me, but you never know. People, you know, random person emails you, you're like, okay. And he is so full of life so full of spirit of life. Like, and I ended up having this amazing conversation with him. Um, you know, we talked about his experience with the walk and it was immensely positive for him, but it was mostly just about life. I'm like, you're 81 years old. And he's like, he even said what you just said. He's like, but I'm just getting started. You know, like he still had that spark, that glimmer in his eye of really, you know, sucking the marrow out of, you know, and he recognized, you know, he likely has, you know, more, more yesterdays than tomorrow's, but still, still fully, fully embracing life. So to me, um, when I encounter people like that, that gives me so much excitement and inspiration. And like you said, it's, it's just getting started. And I, I feel the same way as we talked about, you know, having children, right? It's like, uh, hopefully that I'm excited to bring that into the next phase of my life. And I said to my wife the other day, I was like, you know, we've, we've been, my wife and I have been here for 15 years, it's been a really beautiful um, partnership. And we've also built our businesses together and worked really closely together on a number of things um, throughout time. And I think like, you know, we might, we're going to probably look back at some point and be like, oh, that was just the precursor. That was before we even had the, the, these children that we looked after and, you know, maybe one day grandchildren and a family in that context, right? Like this was really just the beginning. Um, and I think you can frame your life in that way, no matter what phase you're at. Yeah. Because it's not even just age. I feel like people put this limit on themselves with so many things. Like I was having like a knee issue for a while and a foot issue. And I'm like, oh, I should have done this before. I should have done this to heal it, which I did end up healing it, by the way, which is awesome. But we tend to like pick these things that happen to us and view ourselves as broken or too old or, or whatever it is. And that is one of the limiting beliefs you actually break down is that you're broken and you'll never be the same. But one thing that really inspired me was your story about how all of your world records were actually after a really extreme injury. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always uh, had a curiosity for adventure in my life, but I, 
you know, it wasn't raised. It didn't have a ton of money. Um, when I was a kid, we didn't take like extravagant trips, never traveled overseas, things like that. My dad, you know, my love for the outdoors comes from my dad being, he was an Eagle Scout and he used to say like, well, kids, the outdoors are free. And so I lived in Portland, Oregon and we would, you know, our, our fun family activities were driving to a, a nearby trailhead or a lake, swimming in a lake or something like that, just being outside. But I always dreamed of, you know, seeing far off places. And so when I was uh, in my teenage years in high school, I started painting houses and I said, I'm going to save up as much as I can, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars every summer, something like that. So that by the time I graduate from college, I can buy a plane ticket overseas and see a little bit of the rest of the world. And so I, I honored that goal. And when I graduated from college, much to the chagrin of some people in my life were like, what? You just did all, you know, go get a job, you know? And I was like, maybe later, but I want to do this first. And I didn't have, a, I still didn't have a lot of money. It was a few thousand dollars, a backpack and a surfboard, you know, traveling around the world, you know, on the very, very cheap, you know, hitchhiking, staying in youth hostels, sleeping on floors. I, I did on the very first step of that journey, uh, ended up with this random layover because my ticket was such a cheap ticket, but I ended up with the layover in Fiji which is a beautifully serendipitous, not where I was planning to end up, um, and ended up meeting my wife on that layover. So that, that worked out right out of the gate. But I found myself uh, many months into this journey on a small beach in rural Thailand, and there were some guys uh, on the beach who had lit a rope on fire, and they were jumping a flaming jump rope. And I was 22 years old without a fully formed prefrontal cortex, I suppose, <laughs> and thought, gee, yeah, this looks like fun. What could possibly go wrong here? And uh, I jumped that flaming jump rope, and it went tragically wrong for me. Uh, the rope tripped me, wrapped around my legs. There was excess kerosene on the rope that sprayed my body, lit my body completely on fire to my neck. Um, I had to jump in the ocean to extinguish the flames, but not before about 25% of my body was burned, predominantly my legs and my feet. And I was very long way from any proper medical coal facilities. So instead, I was on a moped ride down a dirt path to a one-room nursing station. Um, I underwent eight surgeries in these rural remote um, hospitals in Thailand because I couldn't be moved very far. And there was a cat running around my bed and across my chest in the ICU. It was a bad set of circumstances, to say the least. You know, the, the physical pain was immense, but there was an emotional shock that was even worse when the doctor walks in on day four, day five, and looks me in the eyes and says, hey, Colin, I hate to tell you this, but you will probably never walk again normally. The way the ligaments on my knees and ankle joints and such had been burnt, uh, they didn't think I would regain full mobility uh, of my legs. And I, you know, I think that's for any person at any age, that's a really terrible thing to have happen. You know, I was in my early 20s. I've been an athlete. My whole identity was kind of built up in the physicality of, of myself and my body. And all of a sudden, you know, on no fault of anyone's, but my own stupidity, I had just ripped that um, away from myself. And it was really hard. And I went into this downworld negative spiral in my head. Now, fortunately, there's a heroine to this story, which is my incredible mother. Um, she shows up at about the, gosh, I don't know, day, day four, day five, not long after the doctor says this to me. And I know now um, that she was crying and pleading with the doctors in the hallway and afraid and scared given the circumstances, seeing me in so much pain in such a helpless state and the other side of the world. But she never showed me that fear. Instead, she came into my hospital room every single day with this smile on her face, this huge air of positivity, daring me to dream about the future daring me to look toward the future and saying like, you know, your life isn't over. What do you want to do when you get out of here? Let's set a goal. Close your eyes, visualize something. What, you know, what do you see? And at first I was in such a depressed place. I didn't really want to play along this silly game. 
but she kind of forced me into it. And I closed my eyes. She says, what do you see? And I said, oh, I'm not even going to tell you. It's ridiculous. She goes, no, no, what do you see? And I said, well, the first vision was me crossing the finish line of a triathlon. I had never raced a triathlon before in my life. I had been a collegiate swimmer, but I've never biked and run competitively. And given the circumstances, it seemed pretty ridiculous. And I expect her to be like, yeah, I said set a goal, but, you know, look down at your legs, you know, maybe something a little more realistic. But instead she was like, no, that's your goal. In fact, you should start training for that triathlon right now. I'm like, what? And she yells out to the Thai doctor. She says, hey, doc, hey, doc, uh, bring my son in um, some weights. Uh, he's actually training for a triathlon. I have this ridiculous photograph of me lifting 10 pound dumbbells and there's a Thai doctor looking on. My legs are bandaged from the waist down. This Thai doctor is looking at me like, someone better knock some sense in this stupid American kid. This is ridiculous. But it was fixed in my mind. And, you know, there's a whole part of their parts of the story, but long story short from here, you know, I spent a couple months in that Thai hospital. I was carried on and off the plane when I got back home. Um, I was in a wheelchair in Portland, Oregon. My mother helped me learn how to walk again uh, normally through many days of trials and tribulations. But eventually I took a job in Chicago um, trying to get on with my life. And I signed up for the Chicago Triathlon and I raced the Chicago Triathlon, finishing the race, which had been my goal just 18 months after being burned in the fire. And to my complete and utter surprise, I hadn't just finished the race. But I actually won the race, placing first out of nearly, you know, four or 5,000 participants on the day. And it was an incredible moment, but not because I won this big triathlon race. You know, it's not like I was like, oh, well, I guess the moral of the story is I'm just a superhuman athlete. I'm awesome. Like, that's not where my mind was at, nor is that ever where my mind is at. My mind went to was, wow, our minds are so powerful. If I had been left up to my own devices in the negative downward spiral of my brain in that moment, I would not be sitting here talking to you. I wouldn't have one world record, let alone 10 world records. I would be a completely different person. But thankfully, my mother taught me one of life's greatest lessons in this moment. She unlocked for me what I now call a possible mindset, this empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. And this is not just a me thing. And what I write about in the 12-hour walk, what I encourage people to do and actually cultivate by taking this walk of their own is a way to empower you to realize that you are strong beyond measure. But it starts with cultivating and flexing and developing what I call the most important muscle any of us has. It's the six inches between our ears, our minds. And through that, and through that, we can unlock those reservoirs of untapped potential that we all sit on top of. Your mom sounds like an angel. I just want to spend one day with her. <laughs> she's epic. Like, I feel like she's way ahead of her time. Like, the things that people are learning about now on how to have a growth mindset, she just naturally instilled. And those are things that we can take with ourselves, too. Like, I think a big part of my self-growth is you know, a lot of times people will hear, hear a story like that and be like, God, if only I had a mom like that, maybe I'd be in a different spot. But I feel like... I had a great mom. There were things, yeah, I can look at now and be like, I wish she also knew this, set me up earlier, whatever. But one of 
the biggest keys to my healing, my growth, my success now is actually learning how to parent myself now because your mom isn't a parent anymore. I mean, she's a parent, but she's not sitting there telling you to do your, do your homework, get out of bed, all those things, or you're not having to watch her all the time and having her limited beliefs spill into you anymore. Like you're pretty much on your own. And so many of the voices that we have in our heads are that of our parents at first until we retrain them if we need to. And so I've spoken with so many people who had basically the opposite types of parents than you did, parents that were telling them what they couldn't do, whether it was out of, you know, just not being a good parent or just their own limiting beliefs visualized or like coming out. And one of the biggest steps to like really creating that life is knowing what you started with and how to kind of instill that in yourself. And so when you have some of these limiting beliefs pop up, like like not being broken and not being able to do stuff or, or failing, what are your steps to actually kind of rerouting that towards a positive mindset? Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I like I like what you're saying, right? Like you're you're saying about how <laughs> we hear these voices in our head from our parents and then we ultimately grow up, right? <laughs> and yeah. we have to incorporate that into our own life. And I feel very grateful um, that I had an incredibly loving home despite my parents being divorced, very amicably, very high functioning kind of blended family environment. The step parents that came into my life were hugely positive influences in my life as well. But you know, our parents are perfect, right? And we learn this as we get older, right? They're human beings. And you know, this as a being a parent now, like you're doing your best, <laughs> but like, you know, you never get every single thing, right? And so I think it is up to us a little bit to kind of sort through that and sift through that um, in adulthood, as well as, you know, you know, particularly when you come in an environment where, you know, I, I love to say, you said, you know, limiting beliefs of I don't have the right friends it resonates with you. The thing is about families, you don't get to choose your family, right? You don't get to choose your parents. You do get to choose your friends. You do get to cultivate community in that way. But, you, you know, we show up here on this planet and, you know, your parents are your parents. I think it is important, no matter where you're coming from, whether that's, you know, the far extreme of an incredibly supportive home or the far extreme of incredibly toxic, you know, home environment, you know, we each have different paths in this life to try to figure out in adulthood how to really um, take control of our own thoughts and our own minds. Um, and I think that that is, that is, that is the hard work, right? That, that is, that is somewhat of the challenge, but this, this book, this 12 hour walk movement, uh, I know a lot of the work that you do, the people you talk to on your podcast are, are really sifting through this and working through this, right? How can we empower ourselves? Cause at the end of the day, all of these outside influences, our parents, um, as well as numerous other people that we've crossed paths with in our lives have an outsized impact on our thoughts. But at the end of the day, we do control them, right? And I think that that is always so important to remember. I love to say we are the stories that we tell ourselves, right? We are the stories that we tell ourselves. And sometimes we are our harshest critic. And I'm, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of this um, myself. And so it is trying to figure out how to have that self-awareness, um, how to have that um, understanding uh, of how to be at times more gentle on herself. I remember the first day I was in Antarctica pulling my sled across. I really struggled on the first day so much so that I was crying. And when you're pulling a 375 pound sled in Antarctica, well, it's, you know, minus 40 degrees outside, you start crying. Well, the tears, they actually, they freeze to your face. So uh, Antarctica doesn't even let you cry, basically. <laughs> um, and I remember waking up that first morning 
And I, I joke around, I was alone in Antarctica, of course, but I joke around with people. I was like, well, who was in the tent with me? They're like, what do you mean? You were alone. And I was like, well, I was in the tent with the five worst versions of myself. Like I felt like I was packed inside of this tent and it was all the five versions of myself beating myself up. Colin, you're an idiot. Colin, you're a fool. You, you're never going to be able to make it across this. You told all these people in the media, you were going to do this crossing. Like you can't even make it one day without crying, right? Like we know this feeling, that inner voice, that inner voice pushing against us so hard. And a lot of the exercises in the book and, and certainly I'm sure many of the tools that you discuss on this podcast are about A, having that awareness and B, understanding like, oh, I'm actually doing this to myself, right? It's easy. Oh, I blame my parents, blame this. But it's like, yes, yes, they had that impact. They put those voices in our head in some regard, but now it is our ability as empowered adults to work and sift through that. And it's easier said than done, obviously. Well, I'm inspired. I'm going to do the September 10th walk. Hold me to it. And But I need to know, audiobooks, podcasts, do you, you just want silence, right? Silence, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big audiobook person. Obviously, I love podcasts as well. But the 12-hour walk is really meant to be taken in silence and the stillness of your mind. And that's that's a big part of it. And I'm not saying don't ever listen to podcasts again. Don't listen to audiobooks again. Don't always turn your phone off for the rest of your I'm life. Cutting and, this part of yeah, the episode. No, no, that's certainly not what I'm what I'm advocating for. <laughs> it's to say, you know, in our modern society with our smartphones, you know, with our, you know, internet and computers and television and, you know, music and, you know, children and all the things, our busy lives, right? My life looks just like that. You know, I'm all constantly on my phone. I'm constantly distracted. I'm saying there is some value in taking a day, not even a full day, 12 hours, half of one day to take a break from that. And what people keep coming back, I mean, thousands of people have already taken this walk, thousands more are signed up, and I'm so excited you'll be joining us on September 10th um, for the big worldwide walk day. The, the amount of people that come back and go, wow, I didn't realize how much I've just, I, I, I disconnected from that own inter- internal voice my own internal strength. Now, a lot of people also find that in the first couple hours of the walk, because it's so far out of most people's comfort zone, their mind is spinning on all sorts of things, to-do lists, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and you know, whatever random things are kind of on the surface of your brain bubbling around at any moment. But what ends up happening is people go through the walk, and that's why the commitment to the 12 hours is so important. Again, take as many breaks as you want, but commit to the full day of being out there in your thoughts. That kind of chatter, that monkey mind in the first couple hours starts to quiet down in the flow of the walk, starts to settle down. And people tell me all the time, wow, I'm so glad I stuck with it because hour 11, hour 12, despite, of course, my feet and body being more tired at the end of the day, that is where the most sharp clarity came in the mind. It's almost get deeper and deeper into a, a meditative flow of sorts. Well, like I said, I I like can't wait to do this. Maybe I'll just start earlier, but I also want to do September 10th because I'm all about that collective power. And so for listeners that are interested in learning more about you, going deeper into the 12-hour walk, where is the best place for them to connect with you and find your book? Yeah, the book is available everywhere books are sold, you know, online at Amazon. If you like audiobooks, you know, Audible has the audiobook. I narrate it. If, uh, you know, your local bookstore, Barnes and Noble, whatever, all, all, it's got all book is in all the places. And the best way to connect, you know, around the walk specifically, 12hourwalk.com is a numeral one, two, 12hourwalk.com on there. It takes you about 10 seconds to pick a date, commit to that date. And then I will uh, show up and time or two in your e- email box just to hold you accountable um, and to share some tricks and tips on that. There's 
also FAQs on the website around, you know, obvious questions, but where do I go to the bathroom? What should I eat on the 12 hour walk? You know, things of that nature are obviously good to have those questions answered. And I also, I built an app that helps um, you, you track your walk. Phone is on airplane mode, but it keeps you, keeps you on track so you don't get lost using a map, um, whatnot on your phone. And yeah, it, it is free. It is out your front door. Um, you know, there's so many things that we think, oh, I got it. As you said earlier in the conversation, I got to do this thing at my job to, you know, then I can think about this or I got to have this success or that. But um, there is a lot of power. And it turns out that a lot of that power just resides within. We just need to give ourselves a day to listen to that strength and that power. So I encourage everyone listening to um, go to the 12hourwalk.com, sign up, pick a day, take the 12 hour walk. I have yet to meet the person who is disappointed with themselves for making this commitment. Every single person, although it is challenging at times for people, comes back feeling enlivened, thrilled, filled up, lit up, and stronger in mind, body, and spirit than they've been in a long time. A woman sent me a video yesterday and she says, thank you, Colin. This is the most connected to my mind and body that I have felt in 19 years since I gave birth. And I thought that was a, a powerful, a powerful message that, that she sent me and it uh, brought tears to my eyes. So anyways, yeah, and you can also connect with me on social. I'm on Instagram. It's my name at Colin O'Brady um, and look forward to meeting you, many of you, and hopefully you enjoy taking the 12 hour walk journey. My goal is to inspire 10 million people to take the 12 hour walk. And Melissa, I'm so glad that you will be joining us on September 10th. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash x98. Your challenge for this week is to either, yes, I'm going to give you two, do the 12-hour walk, and you could do it tomorrow with us if my midwife approves. Anyone who's considering this, please check in with me on Instagram. Give me a little boost. Tell me that you're doing it with me. (laughs) If you do not have 12 hours, I encourage you to take a really long walk without your phone. See what it feels like. It's freeing. Like, don't even take it for directions and see what happens. Or take it and turn it on airplane mode. One of the two. But I recommend keeping it at home. I go on a lot of walks and sometimes I just keep my phone at home. And there is just this energetic freedom. It's like a cord has been cut and I'm like flying like a bird outside. Either way, walking can be a form of meditation. And so that's what's so powerful about the 12 hour walk is that it is a full day of meditation. I've been meditating a lot, 20 minutes twice a day. And I get my husband to do it with me at my 4.30 time. And it's funny because almost every time he comes, he's like, we're doing the 20 minute one because we choose something on Insight Timer. And he's like, 20 minutes is just too long. And then afterwards, he always says, oh, that wasn't enough time. And I'm like, I know, usually the first like 17 minutes, your mind is just sorting itself out. And then you finally reach that bliss point. And so when I meditate by myself, I do it longer and longer. And the longer that I can actually sit through it, usually I'll feel this point of resistance. Like, oh my God, my back hurts all of a sudden, or I'm uncomfortable, or my leg is falling asleep. But if I just push through, I reach this point that I did not know was possible. So I encourage you to do that with your walk, whether it is two hours or 12 hours. And again, reach out to me on Instagram. I want to see who's on the same page. Are we doing this tomorrow? Let me know. Mind love, Melissa. 
If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get early release and also ad-free listening experience. You get over 50 exclusive episodes that are only available to premium members. And there's soon to be 100 episodes only available to premium members. You also get meditations and other bonuses, plus the actual key to my heart. If you'd like to check out my sponsors, go to mindlove.com sponsors. I love them all. I vetted them all. They're all companies or brands that I use and enjoy and fully endorse. And finally, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, you just might hear your name on the show. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week.